Hey, welcome to a Queen's Youth Podcast. I want to thank you for listening. This is episode three. And I was kind of on the fence about doing a breast cancer episode. I had a few other things lined up. But I decided to put it out there. Since I am a breast cancer survivor. I had breast cancer at the age of 25 in 2006 yeah 2006 at that time I was a new mom well my baby was two she's 17 now and um yeah I had breast cancer I found a small lump it was about the size of a lima bean at the time the first time when I first found it and I, I want to say I went to the doctor to see about it being removed or I don't know. It seems like this is so long ago. Okay, so I did go to the doctor and she said I had to have surgery. And I really, really wasn't with it. So I kind of ignored the lump for a couple of months, which is a bad thing. Don't do that. And, um, finally, I was working at this factory. And I was a packer, so I was packing up anything that you ordered from Macy's in 2006. I packed that stuff. Pots and pans, uh, curtains, sheets, anything you could think of you could buy from Macy's. I packed that stuff. And one thing I liked about being a packer was I was alone. I had my own little station. I didn't have to be bothered with anybody. And I liked packing. And it was... You were by yourself. The managers didn't really bother you. And one thing about packing was I started to get a lot of upper body strength from picking things up and packing them. So it was kind of a workout, but I left for work six o'clock in the morning. At that time, I didn't have a car, so I had to take the six o'clock bus to a surrounding town. And I got to work a little bit before seven, but I didn't have to clock in until eight o'clock. So I was at work from quarter to seven to about five five or four o'clock i know i got home at six i left out six in the morning i got home six and six at night and it was a really a nice little job for me and at the time i was trying to move out of my mother's house because i had my baby and i just wanted us to have our own space and then the lump started getting bigger. It, it was it was huge by the time I went to to go have it removed. And the only reason why I went to get it to get it removed was because I was causing me a lot of pain. And I was anytime I would lift my arm, I would feel a sharp shooting pain. So finally, I said, "Let me go get this done and get it over with." And I had just started the job, so I had.
had to quit the job and then they were going to rehire me back after I came back. I found a surgeon and whenever you need to find a specialist, find a specialist. Make sure you get second opinions. Do not go with the first person you find. Always get a second opinion. I found a surgeon and he removed the lump and him and my primary doctor, they were like, oh, it's nothing to worry about. It's nothing to worry about. It's um, it's probably benign. It's probably benign, yada, yada, yada. So I um, went back the following week for my follow-up, and he comes in a room, and he asks, was my, was my mother with me? Was my aunt with me? And I'm like, no, I came by myself. And he says, well, it's cancer. He looked at me, and I looked at him. We did that for a few seconds, and he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And he came back with a whole bunch of paperwork, and he was telling me that I had to go see an oncologist and have another surgery. And I was like, okay. So he kind of... Shook his head and he walked out the room. At that time, I was kind of, I guess I was in denial or I don't know. It didn't hit me. And I went home and my mom said, well, what happened? And I told her, he said I had cancer. And then she said, well, what did God say? And I said, I don't know. I didn't ask him. So I went and I, I met with the oncologist. He was a really, really nice guy. I met with him and he told me the type of chemo I was going to have to do and how long. And then I would have to do radiation and all this other stuff. So I went back, I, th- I think about a week later, and had another surgery because I had to have a porter cath put in. And a porter cath is like a little machine they put in your chest for the chemo because if the chemo that I was taking got out on my skin, it would burn my skin. So get the portacap. I don't get the portacap then. I I go to get the portacap then and that surgery, they told me they couldn't put the portacap then because I was dehydrated. And I'm like, okay. So I didn't get that put in, so I had to go back. And I was kind of upset about that because I was like, there's no way I was dehydrated. But anyways, the next morning, after not getting the portacab put in, I wake up, go to the bathroom, and I could not breathe. I was having the hardest time breathing. I called for my mom to help me out the bathroom because there was no way I was making it back in my room by myself. And she came up and then she helped me out the bathroom and go back in my room. And I kind of just like plop on the bed and really didn't know what was going on. Because the night before that, the day of the surgery, I was so out of it. And I, I remember eating Chinese food, laying down, like eating the rice, some of the rice. One of my cousins brought me some Chinese food and I was eating the rice and that was about it so she calls the doctor and he says 
come to his office. Call the paramedics to come to his office. And we called the paramedics. There was a snowstorm. And the paramedics could not get up the hill. And my mom called around to a couple of people at our church. And they were able to make it up the hill. We get to the doctor's office. He does an x-ray. He comes in, like kind of like peeked in and says, there's fluid in your lungs. You're going to have to go to the emergency room to get it removed. And leaves out. No explanation as to how fluid got in my lungs or what happened during the surgery the day before. Nothing. So we get... Finally, we get a paramedic to come to his doctor's office because there was no way for us to get to the hospital at that time. Because the people that dropped me off, I guess they were gone. I don't know. I don't know, but I remember taking a paramedic to the hospital. Then we get to the hospital and they're like, okay. We're going to drain your lung. And they're making it seem like it's this easy thing. Okay, we're going to drain your lung. Blah, 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 blah. My first question to them was, is it going to hurt? Oh, you'll just feel it a little bit. You know, how they lie. So I get, finally get a room. And they get me in a room. And I'm kind of on my side. Leaning to the side with the lung that didn't have the fluid in it. And I'm kind of leaning to the side. And he says, we're going to numb your skin. No, he's saying he's going to numb my skin. He means he's numbing the outer surface. He's not numbing anything on the inside. So he numbs my skin. So I don't feel him cut my skin open. But after he cut my skin open, I could feel his finger searching around because he was trying to find my lung. He's searching around for my lung and I'm screaming, screaming at the top of my voice. Like, you know, this is painful. I'm, I'm hurting. Finally, after I don't even know how long it took, a nurse comes in and she's giving me morphine. Just loading me up with morphine. The morphine's not even working. And she's giving me morphine and she's telling him, you know, you need to wait, wait for the medicine to kick in. And he's just kept going. He kept going. Finally, I feel him put the tube in and the tube kind of hit my lung and I could feel it poking my lung, poking my lung. And finally, he gets the tube all the way where it needs to be. And all the blood comes out. And it's kind of like now I'm gasping for air. I'm gasping for air. I'm crying. I'm screaming. And now he does this. And now the blood's coming out. So now I can't breathe again. And it was just like, how do you do this to a person? A week. Like, nothing was even going on. Like, it just like, you do this and you're just like, oh, okay. This is just what I have to do. But at the same time, it was like, he wasn't waiting for the meds to kick in at all. And I honestly don't think the morphine worked. I think that was when I found out I was allergic to morphine. But 
was a horrific experience. So finally, we get that in. And I'm in a hospital for like, I want to say a week and a half with this tube poking me in the chest. Loud nurses, no sleep, just ready to go home and get this over with. Finally, I get out the hospital. The next day, I have to go for chemo. Went for chemo. The first, the first set of chemo, I think, was for four weeks. It was very, it was a strong, really strong. And they're like, you know, your hair's going to fall out. This is going to happen, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, to the point where I'm just like, I just want to get this over with and get on with my life. And maybe my second treatment, my hair started falling out. And that was like really when reality hit, when my hair started falling out. My hair at first, it started getting really, it looked, it, it looked really wrinkled and crimpy like. And at that time I had somewhat, not straight hair, but it was definitely, when it started falling out, you could definitely see the texture changing. And it started falling out, and I was waking up. I think the first time I woke up, when it really, like, it, it, it wasn't like a shedding process. Like, it was like, I don't know, it was weird. It changed textures, and then it fell out. And when I woke up one morning, I had hair, like, all over my face. And finally I said, I'm just gonna shave it off. And I went and I shaved all my hair off. And as I picked my head up to look in the mirror, I looked just like my great aunt. And that freaked me out so bad. And I went, I went in my mom's room. My cousin Marie was there. My little brother, my mom was in there. And my little brother, he looked at me, he said, you look just like Aunt Poochie. And I was trying my best not to cry. And I was just like, this was like the craziest thing ever. And she had passed away, I think, maybe two years before that or the year before that. And I look in the mirror and see that I look just like her it was just, it was wild. I shaved all my hair off and I was just, I think I probably didn't look in the mirror for a while, brush my teeth, see if my face was clean. And then that was about it. But when I looked in the mirror, I looked just like her and I was just like, this is just, it was too much. So finally... I started to, um, I don't know, I kind of, I kind of started feeling like I just got to get through this. It'll be over sooner than I know it. And at the time, my baby was only two, so I was like, I gotta, I gotta do this for her. And she was, she was young. She didn't really know what was going on. And she would come in my room every day, every single day, to watch The Lion King. That was her movie. Every every day, around the same time, she would come in my room. 
and she wanted to watch the lion king with me but i never made it through the whole lion king and i'm sure she knew that that's probably why she wanted to watch it every day with me but i never made it through the movie i would always fall asleep and i would just wake up to her rubbing my head while i was sleeping or her just sitting sitting next to me or laying next to me while lion king was on and that was just one of her favorite movies and she was she was so young she didn't i don't think she really remembered anything and then i started another dose of chemo and that chemo was i had to have benadryl before i took that one because so many people had allergic reactions to it so i don't really remember anything about that because i was high or I should say, highly medicated. And I slept through most of those treatments. And then when that was done, I went into radiation. And radiation took forever. Radiation was for eight weeks, five days. Monday through Friday, that was the longest time ever. And I hated radiation. Radiation is basically just burning your skin. And my skin was so raw. And it took, it took years for my skin to go back to the color it was. I mean years, like probably almost six or seven years for it to go back to the same complexion. And during all that, my fingernails, I don't know which which set of chemo I was on, but my fingernails were lifting from the nail beds. First, they started turning black. And my toenails, everything started turning black. And then they started lifting, my fingernails definitely started lifting from my nail beds. Anytime I washed my hands, they would bleed. And it was like, I, I just could not wait for it to be over. But that, that was one of the side effects there were so many side effects from chemo and radiation i know for sure chemo brought on some kind of arthritis or something where i was in pain i was in constant pain all the time and at that time they were they started giving me percocets and i think vicodin but I didn't, I could not take Vicodin. I couldn't, I couldn't function on Vicodin. A Percocet, I could still function. But still, within that, I, I didn't want to be on drugs the rest of my life. Or be in pain the rest of my life. So I started doing, I want to say I brought an exercise machine. I started doing exercise and it helped, but it didn't. It didn't stop the pain. And then finally, after radiation was over, you know, you're expecting your life to go back to normal, but your life doesn't go back to normal after having cancer. My hair grew back. I had like this silky, silky jet black hair when it first started growing in. And then it, flip-flopped and it went to some kind of kinky curly mixture which 
I had no idea. I had no idea what to do with it. And, uh, just your life, just, your life is never the same after that. No matter how much you want to go back, you're always thinking about how things were before you had cancer and now things are different. And another thing they told me, I had my baby, she was two. They were saying that because, because, because the chemo was so strong that I wouldn't be able to have any more kids. But they didn't get the final say. So I have two more kids. And it was so much. It was it was so much now that I think about it. It was a lot that was going on. And I was only 25 and it wasn't. It wasn't as easy as I thought it was now that I'm thinking about it. And being, I was so young. And I know like little kids get cancer and stuff like that too. I was young. I was 25. Like 25 is really not that old. And now thinking about it at 40. I went through a lot, but I kind of made it look like it was easy, even though it was hard. And I pushed, I pushed really for my daughter because I couldn't, couldn't see myself leaving her at that time. Couldn't see myself not being a mom to her. And that's how I felt after for a while. Like, you know, you need help. You can't do all the things that you used to do. I couldn't do her hair because my nail beds were coming off my nails. My nails were coming off my nail beds. So I couldn't do her hair. Like certain things I just couldn't do with her as her mom. And that was kind of like, that was like heartbreaking to not be able to like even pick your child up. Like she used to have to, I used to sit up and make her climb on me because I couldn't pick her up. And, and she was young. She didn't understand, but she was very understanding for a two-year-old. It was a lot, but you know, I'm still here. It was definitely a struggle. So that's just a little bit of some of the stuff I went through when I had breast cancer. I want to thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you on episode four. Or you'll hear me on episode four. Because I'm going to see you. This is a podcast. Thanks for listening.